standing for a reading of God's Word. I love it if you have Exodus chapter 20 in front of you. Uh, we'll read the second commandment, uh, Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Reading from God's Word. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thus far, reading God's holy word, let's pray. Lord, you have given us explanation to the second commandment, and we admit that we are slow in keeping your law and your truth, but especially in this commandment where we need extra help and extra encouragement, incentive. For, Lord, as we review the history of your people and your sacred scripture, we see our forefathers faulting, our forefathers in the faith. We, Lord, who are the spiritual descendants of Christ and the prophets, uh, would plead with you to spare us shame and disgrace and everything that might weaken our testimony and, your, and dim your, your brilliant light of who you are. And so, especially in this hour as we look at this, we pray that we might learn your worship and that you would be sufficient for us in all of your splendor, in all of your holiness, in all of your power and super eminent sovereignty. We bow before you, but we plead, Lord, grant us conviction in these truths, for we mean to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You do not have before you this evening my, my outline. I began this outline typing furiously at 3 p.m. yesterday. But that does not mean that I did this very quickly. I've been brewing this sermon for months because we have a catastrophe in the evangelical world today. And I would dare say the catastrophe has seeped into Reformed churches. We are not worshiping God as the Reformation dictated. We have even forgotten why we have Reformed. And I hope to show you very clearly from Scripture why this is the case. And just one very simple, one very simple case. I'm not going to show you a preponderance of, of instances where this is the case, but I will just show you one very simple one. The context, of course, is the Ten Commandments, which uh, every, every century since the Reformation, in fact, every century since Scripture, since Moses uh, wrote the Ten Commandments on parchment, has acknowledged that to be a law that is descriptive of the brilliant excellence and, and uh, perfection of God himself and his essence, and also of the uprightness of man as he was created in God's image. It's called the moral law, and it is fully compatible with what we would call natural law. Most theolo uh, theologies today and many, many philosophies have picked that notion apart to the, to the point where today very few people uh, can even uh, understand the discussion. We have drifted very, very far 
from acknowledging what the Ten Commandments are in terms of showing us something of God's holiness and His uprightness, His excellent uh, righteousness, and uh, of our own pristine righteousness in the garden. Now, I say that because a lot of people, and more people than you might know, have abandoned the thought of Adam being an historical person. And if that's the case, then we, we have no place to argue morality or natural law. And if we don't find ourselves back, then the imputation of Adam to our race means nothing, and the collateral imputation of Christ to the redeemed means nothing. It's all myth, and it's all speculation, and it's, it's gone. Christianity is gone. So we have got to wake up to the things, the first things of God. First things are foundational creation, law, moral order, moral order. And the place to do that, my friends, is the church. By worship, when we worship, we approach God and He teaches us. But if we are corrupting the very source of our strength, if we are, if we are polluting the stream of clear water, that is, to, that is to rinse our souls and irrigate every cell of our spiritual well-being, we, we will totter and falter. I don't know what's going to become of the church unless we begin to recover biblical worship. And I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but as I look around, I am, I am more and more concerned. The teaching here, of course, and this is by way of review, I'll tell you when we're beginning some new material. This is our review. The teaching here sticks is that the second commandment prohibits the use of images and any other manner not specified in the Word of God. In obeying this commandment, by God's graciousness, not by a reward due to us for some service, but just because He's, he's pleased with us, obeying this commandment brings blessing. But disregarding it and disobeying it brings chastening and wrath judgment. Okay, that's the teaching. So we established last time, and I'm going to review a little bit, then fill out a little bit of what I've already said. The first, the first thing that needs to be solidly understood here is that God must be worshipped only in the manner in which He commands in His Word. Most churches in uh, North America will follow what is called the normative principle of worship, and that is a Lutheran concept, not quite Reformed, and that is we may worship God in any matter that He does not condemn in His Word. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God must be worshipped only in the manner which He commands in His Word. And any manner that we think is, is appropriate because He does not condemn it, uh, that's forbidden. In the second commandment, we have a negative commandment, what we must never do. Never, negative commandments I, told, I preached last time, we should never ever do what God says not to do. Uh, you, you must never worship God in any way that He condemns, and you especially here particularly are never to make an, a likeness of God. And we said that's because God is a spirit, and He's infinite. And how are you going to do that? And besides, God is, tr is Trinity. How are you going to make an, an, an image of Trinity? Uh, the worship of God using any likeness is also prohibited. The making of the, of the image and the worshiping of bowing down. Those are two separate components uh, of this commandment. You break one, you break the whole commandment. You break two, you still break the whole commandment. 
the worship of God of any likeness is prohibited. The worship of the true God through any visible representation is condemned because God is a spirit and he is invisible. He wants to commend faith to us, and we know that this is a guiding principle, a foundational principle of all the Christian life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the cardinal, the cardinal foundation of serving God and knowing God. So the making and worshiping of images is the worst sin in its head or in its category, and that's why it's placed as in the second commandment, uh, not to make images, because it's the, it's the grossest material violation uh, of the means by which we worship God. In the first commandment, we're told who is God and that we are to have no other gods. And the second one is how we are to worship the means by which we worship God. Okay? So, uh, again, the head of a commandment stated in the, in the table of the Ten Commandments is, it goes to the extreme uh, of the moral lapse. Now, that's the negative commandment. Uh, positively stated, when you flip a negative, you get the same thing, and, and you are to obey it because it also means the same thing. Uh, negated. The negative of a negative is a positive. And so, positively stated, you must worship God only in the manner which he prescribes in his word. Anybody who's got a brain will think and will, will arrive at that conclusion. Now, most of you have not read a lot of church history, and that's something that you don't gravitate to. I know that, you know. And most of you did not grow up Roman Catholic. I know that too. But I, I can assure you, upon review of what is involved in the Catholic Mass and worship, it's such a, a conflagration of, of Judaizing principles and insipid pagan practices and, and flat-out error that if you were to study it piece by piece, you would say, well, how many violations of the second commandment are involved here? How, how many? Some are quite simple, like churches necessarily being built to face east and, uh, uh, and the use of incense and candles and bowing and... All right. And some are, are quite, quite serious, such as the, re, the re-crucifying of Christ, the, offer, the re-offering of his, uh, of his physical body and the host of the bread. Okay, some of those are very, very gross. But anyway, the, the, the Reformation was a revolt and a condemnation of all that had come into worship. We think of the Reformation as, as being Lutheran, justification by faith alone. That's a tiny, tiny component. And Calvin saw that as important as that component was, it would not be kept in the church if the very pure water of worship was contaminated. So Calvin decided we need, to, we need to start over and see what God demands by way of worship. Because if we pollute ourselves every time we come together, it doesn't matter if we preach justification by faith alone. The Lord will judge us and harden our, our hardness again, and we are, we are off again in a bad direction. We must worship God the way that he says. Now, the regular principle of worship is what that term that was coined among reformers and not in, as opposed to the normative principle of worship. The regular principle of worship says we worship God only in the manner which he prescribes in his word. And think about it. It's logical. If God loves his people and he's close to his people, wouldn't he, as a friend, tell you this is what would really please me? 
And, if, and he's not holding anything back from you. He's not going to hold back what he delights in and what wherein he would bless you. Why would he hold that back? He's going to be very explicit. It's all very simple if we just listen. If pictures and images would help you, he would have gladly provided you a lithograph. Don't you know that there's artists and artisans that, that made the tabernacle splendid? And then later the temple. We have all manner of spirit-filled artisans, but he never gave us a lithograph or anything that is in his image because it just flatly wasn't in his interest. As I say, faith is not of sight. All right. That's the regular principle of worship. And by the way, that is not a moral law. It reports into the moral law. The second commandment is moral. But it is a positive law that we are only to do as the Lord specifies. The rest of, the, the rest of our world, the rest of our, our Christian life, hey, on a Monday we can worship God at, in Galveston or we can worship God at the bakery on the street corner. We have absolute liberty. He gives us absolute liberty to work that out. But on the Lord's day in his worship, he doesn't give us that liberty. We don't, the liberty that we have is in his word and in his spirit. There is no other liberty. If we boast in liberty, we must boast in the liberty that God gives us when he's pleased to meet us in that ordinance in which he has very, very clearly stipulated. The regular principle of worship is positive law. All other worship in the New Testament is called in Colossians, and I want you to, to, to make that scripture very plain. In Colossians 2.23, there's a word here that it, it's, it's clunky. I've never really, I never really understood this thing until uh, I studied it very, very lately, very much lately. The word is, is will worship, will dash worship. What a clunk. It, it, drops, it drops to something clumsy. Will hyphen worship. In, in the Greek, it's ethelothaskia. Uh, and it basically means just that. That's why they translate it in a clunky manner. It is a, tr it is a complete transliteration. Uh, others try to try to come up with a, def a different definition and de dictionary definition, self-made worship, it, it, carries, it carries the thought, yes, yes, yes. But the, the, the reason why in Colossians, the Holy Spirit coined this word, it's, it's a coined word in this word by Paul, by this, in this epistle by Paul. Because first of all, the Colossian ep epistle has to do with the theme of Christ's eminence the supereminence of Christ. And will, the will of God, his pure will, not his essence, the will of God, that is to say his eminence as our superior and his liberty and his prerogative and freedom to specify whatever he wants is accented in a positive law. Okay? It's his, not his essence that's, that's requiring a certain kind of worship, of course, if we were talking about a holy worship, yes, that's regulated. God is holy, was worship him in a holy way. But, if, but, but, but now that if he requires singing, why, why would God require singing? Is the essence of God music or something? No, it's because he, he wants it. And, and sure, okay, all right, we'll sing, we'll sing. All other worship that is not of the will of God is of the will of the creature. And the willing creature who overrules the will of the supereminent will of God, who is sovereign over all, and given him a simple commandment, that's 
creature worship because he's worshiping his own will. That's the name. That's the definition of will worship. And it's placed in Colossians because Colossians, above any short little epistle anywhere, shows you how, the, how excellent Christ is in all things in the church and must be obeyed. And by the way, the epistle is not written to uh, preachers or to pastors. It's not, a pastoral theology. it's not a pastoral letter. It's written to the laity so that the laity would understand this very simple term. This is a teaching tonight for Christians. All right, let me review very simply, and it'll keep your finger on Colossians 2.23. Paul reads in Colossians 2.23, these teachings have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And what we're about in worship is, is in the spirit, by faith, putting to death the interests and the power of the flesh, the body, and, en- and enjoying God in spirit and truth. Okay, that's, uh, I thought, I don't know how. Another version that I had here, I thought I had the ESV. These have an in- indeed an appearance of wisdom in, pro- in prompting will worship. But I w- went with the self-made worship, and the, uh, it captures the sense. Yeah, I thought I had a better translation. So forgive me for that. Okay, review. Types of law. Uh, just especially now law relating to the second and the fourth commandment. These, these commandments, the second and the fourth, have an appended narrative because of themselves we find it hard to believe and of themselves we need a little extra help, especially the fourth commandment. Yeah, these are commandments, these are the first commandments that go with respect to the ten because uh, we are sinful creatures when we harm our, our neighbors we may have a civil suit, and we're going to get corrected by our neighbors. They're going to be taken to court, and we'll be sued. But God is, is, so, is so forbearing, he doesn't automatically speak against us. And so we go violating the first table of the commandments, commandments 1, 2, 3, 4. And it seems like everything's okay, because the temple's still standing, and we don't, we don't look like idolaters, and suddenly the temple's gone. And we're bowled over, and, and, and Jerusalem is destroyed. Okay. Moral, moral breaches of the first table are much more serious than the second table. And that's why the moral, the governance of the first table is largely committed to elders and ministers who know more about the faith. They are the ones who set up worship, okay? Because they're more serious. The moral law then is a transcript, as I said, of God's righteous essence. Man in, in God's image has that strength, uh, transcript by nature until he sinned and then it became uh, perverted, it became corrupted. And uh, the essence of a moral commandment is that God commands that law because it is good. It reflects something of his nature. So that law says something about God. And what he says is this law is, I'm giving you this law because it is good. But positive law is not like that. Positive law is purely up to his will, which of course is inexpressibly, uh, infinitely incomprehensible, and there must be some wisdom, but he hasn't revealed it. It's it's really not, not, not for us to know, but his will is not his essence. Uh, It is a demonstration, a narrative of his supereminence, his absolute sovereignty over those whom he knows and governs. Positive law is for people who are under covenant with God and know Him. 
and have every reason to, to, to obey. And besides that, they, they're piqued by this commandment because there's nothing in their nature that would ring and resonate with this command because it's not in our nature to say, oh, I think I'll sing to God. Well, we've been singing as Christians for so long, we think it's, it's natural. But many churches, for instance, many churches don't understand that what God does want to certainly want is psalms. And, not, and a, lot of, a lot of Christians don't have anything in them, anything in them that would say, you know what I, what I feel, really feel like doing? I feel like singing Psalm 32 today. That has to be taught. That, that, that is God saying, you know, I love this psalm. That's Psalm 32. I, I, want, you, I want you to sing that. Okay? Positive law is a, as, as it were then, reports into the moral law with specific commands, and especially when we get through uh, with the Ten Commandments, we're going to see that it influences the ceremonial and the civil law in, in, uh, in Judah, okay? Again, Colossians, supremacy of Christ. And it says, let's not worship God in our own will, Colossians 2, 23. Now, these, these commandments, because they're given to the laity and to worshipers, God's covenant people, they tend to be very simple, very simple, because we have nothing in our nature that would have us to relate to it. And so he has to keep it somewhat simple and short. There's nothing in the human nature to, to correlate or to chime in and resonate with positive law. And so positive law is good because God declares it to be good. He just says, this is good, I like it. It's like saying, uh, how do you like your furniture? I like my furniture in an L shape in the living room. Oh no, I want mine in a U shape. No, I want a straight line. It's your house, you can do whatever you want. But that's God's house and he can do whatever he wants. And if we love him, we'll respect him, no. How, what else can be so simple? And if it's not in your nature, when you hear a command like this, then he's not gonna rub you the wrong way because it's, there's nothing in your nature to rub the wrong way. It's completely reasonable for God to give you a positive commandment. And for you to be cross with that, well, you're just, being, you're just not being reasonable, okay? Positive law is an expression of God's will, not his nature. And, it's, and also, it, since it, it has an aspect of trial, he uses it in conjunction with the blessings of both covenants the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. There is a blessing of grace in the second commandment. There's a threat to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him, but loving kindness to those who fear him and obey him. And not of wages, because it's not of works, but because God is gracious and he is pleased with his subjects. Okay? And so the blessings... Law will always have some element of a positive, uh, moral law or covenant of works will always have an element of some kind of positive law with it because as a trial, it always has a, next to it a promise of blessing or cursing. Now, positive commandments are found in civil and civil and the civil law of, of the Jews and the ceremonial law, but they're most useful at worship. The, elaborate, the, 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 the worship of the temple was very elaborate, but that's a late development in Judaism. The temple was later. The tabernacle 
was uh, first established. The temple was a Davidic ordinance. And, but the tabernacle services were still very ornate, but that, all of that, uh, the positive uh, law was given to the Levites, and they were to study those and, and to memorize those, and that was their life's work. But the moral worship of God is very simple, and when the worship uh, laws are, are given to the laity, as they are in Colossians, they tend to be very, very simple. So they appear at the worship of the New Testament, and they appear as a trial. They've always appeared as a trial. Positive law has always appeared as a kind of a trial. Adam was given a very simple commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat of that, you shall die. Very simple. Is there anything in Adam's nature that would tell him that? No. Adam's nature it says, I, I, need to, I need to honor God. But what does that tree have to do with honoring God? That's where Satan came in. That's, that's, that's a suggestion. Well, they know, look, God knows that when you eat of this, you'll be like God. You will have the knowledge of good and evil. It's great. It's a plus. Yeah, you won't lose anything you're going to gain. You're going to gain new knowledge of evil. And Adam went for it. He failed the trial. Simple commandment. Forbidden tree, he went for it. And we all fell. Sabbath. Now, this is a moral law to keep the, uh, the, Sabbath, the, the Sabbath day holy. That's in the fourth commandment. But in the creation... Whether God wanted the sixth day, the seventh day, the eighth day, or the 29th day, as Augustine said, God could have created, you know, speculation. God could have created everything by his almighty power instantly. I know one guy who actually believes that. He's a very good Christian, but he chose not to do it that way, and he blessed the seventh day. Why? Why did he bless the seventh day? Nobody knows. That's a positive commandment. Now, if you keep the commandment and you're a Jew, are you happy and blessed? Yes. If you break it, what happens? Dire consequences. He's serious about positive law. He's serious enough to make it a capital offense to break the positive law. Okay? Uh, the gospel, another, it's very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I know, you know, you have evangelism training, and okay, we're going to spend some time evangelism training. We're going to spend some time and money in the church evangelism training. You know what? You guys all know evangelism. If you don't know evangelism, you don't know how to confess sins and, and remember the promises of God applied to your own soul. If you're doing that, you're evangelizing yourself every day. Maybe more times than one every day. You don't need any evangelism training. All you need to do is get out there and do it. It's a positive law. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Tell him a little bit about his person and work. You know all that. I mean, how many years have you been here? Longer than in graduate school for crying out loud. You know this stuff. It's simple. Positive law. Gospel is a positive law. But the gospel is, it brings blessing. It's not law. The gospel is opposed to law in the sense that it gives something that you don't have. But, to, but if you receive what's given, the command to receive is law. And you are commanded to believe in the gospel. The gospel is all grace, law. Law is of works. But if God helps you to work then, and to believe, then you are saved. All right. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Faith. And faith justifies. So that's all by way of a reminder. Now, I'm, just, I'm not going to get through all this, but I just want to show you a few cases to show you the gravity of the situation regarding positive law and the Old Testament. 
and I think, I think I'll have time, but then I'm going to quit early. I'm not going to get into the, the great detail, but I want you to listen. And if anybody wants my notes, my full set of notes, I'm not going to type any more notes for my, my treatment after. I'll, I'll preach this, this the first Sunday evening in, uh, in May again. I'll continue in this, but I'm not going to fill this out. I'm going to quit, quit on time tonight because it's been a long day. All right. I want to say this. It's not in your sermon uh, outline. God's zeal for his own worship is clearly demonstrated in Scripture. God has zeal for his own worship. And this is absolutely clear. There's no, there's no contesting it. There, 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 there's nobody going to be confused about, well, I, I, we can make a case, you know, uh, for uh, Aaron's sons, uh, Adab and Abihu. No one's going to come to defend them. It was such an open and shut case of the violation of the positive law resulting in their immediate death, immediate avengement of God, that uh, we see that God is very zealous for his own worship, and he tells us so in the second commandment. Okay, a few Old Testament cases, and these involve leaders. Leaders are in charge of the outward ceremony of God, the, the outward ordinances. I know in their evangelical world today, there's all kinds of leaders. Anybody, you know, they can blow a, a, a note in an instrument is suddenly leading something in worship. But it's not to be the case. The golden calf, all right? Right at the foot of Mount Horeb. It's a violation of the moral law, a strict violation of the moral law. Exodus 32, 7 through 11, the Lord said to Moses, go down. Now Moses is, is enjoying a good time, 40 days, 40 nights there on the top of the mountain there with, with Jehovah. And the Lord quickly says, you know, go down. For your people, <laughs> your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? Isn't that, I mean, that's such a, a nefarious lie. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you, he says to Moses. But Moses, who's very, very meek, and he immediately entered, he's a mediator of sorts, he's a type of mediator, and this is what Christ does for us. And Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does, your, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? It's not Moses' people at all. It's your people, very bold, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. And of course, uh, Moses wins the case. But the establishment of guilt is clear. It's an explicit violation of the second commandment and an explicit violation of the way we worship God in a second, and also uh, what is inferred there, uh, there around the golden calf, there was a lot of sensuality, there was a lot of uh, loose, loose sexual, sexuality, fleshly worship, flesh, carnal worship is what was going on there. And, and, that, and, and the scripture always distinguishes between spiritual worship and fleshly worship. Again, in the extreme, the extreme is pagan worship, Prostitutes, male prostitutes, female prostitutes, carnal worship, literally, literally carnal worship. And that's, that's the extreme end of the other, which is a pure uh, spiritual worship and holy worship of God. Aaron was guilty 
you know the story? I don't know. I, we, you know, we just threw all this gold together in the fire, and all of a sudden, whoop, up come, out came this calf, as if, as if the magic of Egypt was still working for them there in the wilderness of sin. Aaron was guilty as a leader. He tried to excuse himself, and later he, he fell to God's discipline, all right? That's, that's, just, that's just an, I just want to point you out that the extreme interest that God has in his worship, extreme interest. The second case is Nadab and Abihu. Again, this is an application uh, of the moral law in a positive, in a positive law. Because the law was that the, uh, the priesthood was committed to Aaron and his sons. And so uh, what we had here is uh, Nadab and Abihu uh, rightly were priests. But instead of, of, of using the fire uh, to, that God had provided when he first came down, and he himself provided the fire for his own, for his own sacrifices. And, and the, uh, the, the, the priests, the Levites, were to keep that fire going, and they did. But instead, they, they used their own fire. They used other fire, unauthorized fire or strange fire. And you see that narrative in, in Leviticus 10, uh, the first six verses. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censure and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. A simple, simple commandment. I want you to use this fire. Oh, no, no, yeah. We're priests, and this is more convenient. We're going to use this fire. It's, it's nearby. It's at hand. We're just going to use this fire. God had not commanded them to do that. And fire came up before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, what is, what, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I, I will be sanctified. I will be held holy. I will be reverenced. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. He says, oh, this is God. This is Lord. I, if God says this, and I heard him say it, what can I say? He's Lord. That's that. God answered back. He's defending his own first table of the law, which he doesn't do today very neatly, unless some minister speaks up and interprets it rightly, and then he lays it to the church. That's how God speaks today, through, his, through the preaching of the word and reading the word. Moses called uh, Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away. I mean, they're, they're, they're carbon, they're carbon. They've been carbonized. Carry them away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near, carried them out in their coats out of the camp. And Moses said, and, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not change, tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that God has kindled. In other words, they're not even to mourn their own brother's deaths. The, the, and that is an extreme commandment. The Lord has said, no, I am zealous of my worship, and you, if you're going to be leaders in Israel, you've got to be zealous of my worship too. And don't show any weakness uh, to anyone that has sympathy that, oh, the Lord is too harsh. Oh, the Lord doesn't understand. Oh, why, why? The Lord is the Lord, and nobody can manipulate the Lord. All right. That's the case not only of the, the golden calf and the Nadab and Abihu. I've got one more, I think, in the Old Testament, and I'll, I'll stop for tonight. The case of Uzzah 
and the, the transporting of the ark from, uh, from the Philistines. Now, that, that story is made famous by R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God. Uh, again, the doctrine here behind this is that what God has sanctified, as, in, as the reading in Leviticus 10 says, I will, be, I will be sanctified in all those who come near me. I will be regarded holy. I will, I will be regarded, that is to say, differently than all others. I, I am God and there's no other like me. And so when I give a command, you, you have nobody else to relate, to compare to me. My word is absolute. And if regarding worship, it is absolute because this is an absolute command based on my will. No compromises. The case of Uzzah. They were carrying the ark and it stumbled. Uzzah reached out to stable the ark and God struck him dead. And, and, and David was, was stunned. You see this in 2 Samuel 6. They carried the ark of the Lord on a new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab which, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of, of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating. They were happy. This was a great occasion. The ark had been rescued. God is going to be gracious to us once again. His presence is once again in this emblem of the ark, his throne. He, he rules in Israel. This is his throne, and he's among us, and he's, he's going to protect us. Of course, the Israelites, if they're disobedient with God and they're holding this ark superstitiously, God wouldn't work with them. But, but now they have repented. They were humble. The Lord is again showing favor. This is a, this is a high celebration. Songs and lyres and, and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals, like a gypsy band, man. This is a, this is a parade. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark to take hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. I mean, the Lord, you could say, providentially made the oxen stumble. But he, he touched the ark, which he was not supposed to do. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Yes, it shows the holiness of God, or see Sproul's got it right, but it also shows that that's his throne. And you can't touch what God in his throne has told you not to touch. He's right there. He's the super eminent Lord. <laughs> and you go and present an action that absolutely goes against that. Let the earth, let the earth, let, let the ark fall to the ground. The ground is not unholy. It's not sinful. Uzzah is unsinful. I mean, excuse me, Uzzah is sinful. If the ark falls to the ground, okay, let's pick it up. But if, but if it touches unclean flesh, that's carnal worship. All right. The anger of the Lord was kindled, and David was angry. He doesn't understand this. There's nothing in David to understand this. And David is not a Levite, and this is not a moral commandment. And so he can't relate to this. This is something that's very hard for any of us to relate to. Because it's a positive command, as simple as it is. And David was very angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means a breaking through of Uzzah. To this day, they remembered this stuff. They called it the, the, the name of the place. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. 
And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of, of David. David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. All right. And there's other examples. Uh, for instance, uh, Israel not, not offering a blemished animal. Uh, the Lord doesn't, it's not that the Lord cares about the hygiene and all that. He's not, he's, it's not a beauty contest for lambs and goats and bulls. It's not that. It's, it's representative of everything else. And so if you, if you, that's a positive law. He wants a perfect animal. The, the, the Jews were to inspect the sacrifice. And if you break that law, it's a positive law. The Lord will not receive your sacrifice. Meaning, the Lord has not remitted their, your sin. Meaning, you're guilty. And if you die in your sin, all right? So those are some examples. And I'll continue this teaching because I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been a long, it's been a long day. But I, I do want to say uh, that uh, there's a case to be made here that these are the least commandments of God. The, the moral law was given with much thunder and much quaking and much to do. But these positive laws are quieter and they're developed, uh, you know, by God in, this, in the manuscripts. And they, and because they're not even in our civil realm, we don't deal with each other in terms of positive law unless the governments or other authorities lay them down. Then they tend to be forgotten. But they are the least of the commandments. But this is the trial to the Christian. The Christian will heed the Lord because he's his subject and he knows and he calls him Lord and he is that, okay? And he will obey because he knows that the Lord is ineffably, ineffably supreme. And if he likes his furniture this way in his house, well, who are we to rearrange it? And so he will, by God's grace, keep the least of the commandments, the positive law. He'll, he'll have respect to it. Uh, but if, we, if, you, if you give God any other worship besides what he's com commanding you in, in, in the Christian worship today, uh, then that is a breaking of the positive law. And I think in, in Colossians especially, I, I, I would say study Colossians 2.23. Again, disi the discipline of physical training and, and asceticism and all that, it's, that's a New Testament discipline. And it's enfolded into the worship of God. But God hasn't required that of his worshipers. The fasting before the Lord's Supper, uh, I mean, heavily Roman Catholic doctrine, the Lord, he's not impressed with, he doesn't want that. He doesn't ask for that. Who made you think that this is what God is delighted in? And, he's, and there are many things that, that I will mention next time in terms of the order of worship because I wanted you to understand what zeal God has for his own worship in the Old Testament, for sure. And since this is, again, relating to the moral law, none of this is, is, uh, is abrogated in the New Testament. God must be worshipped in spirit and truth. That's John chapter 4 and verse 24. He tells the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman said, I've got a question for you. You're, you know, you, you're a holy man. You seem to know some things. Our forefathers worshipped in this mountain. You were Samaritans. You Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, no, 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 look, a day is coming and now is. But the true worshipers of God will worship Him in spirit and truth. Place, location, temple, no. doesn't have anything to do with the worship of God. A new day is coming. We're going to have a very simple worship, 
with very few simple positive laws. It's going to be a moral worship the way uh, that the God's people have always worshipped. And uh, apart from the Davidic institution of the, tab- uh, the, temple, the temple worship, not the tabernacle, but the temple worship. Anyway, I will continue this, but for now, church leaders especially must regard and safeguard the church against will worship, knowing that our, our nation has been driven madly to excess of entertainment, knowing that our, our businesses have given consumers immense power and it's a market-driven economy and a market-driven business and the churches uh, have capitulated to a great degree as to the market needs of the people. And they like certain music and they like certain entertainment and they like certain lights and they like certain fog and it goes on and on. But those are the likes of creatures. God has not asked for disco balls or anything else. He's asked for worship and spirit and truth, and we'll be examining more aspects of this in future. Now, keep in mind the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37. Excuse me, Ezekiel 36. The promise of the human is that the Lord will put his spirit within you and he will cause you to walk in his statutes. That is to say, in his ordinances, not just because his commandments. He doesn't say here, I will cause you to walk in my commandments. He finishes it up by saying, you'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Rules, yes, are commandments. Rules, uh, Ten commandments are a rule of life to every Christian. the statutes of the ordinances. And if you have the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit is working and directing you and leading you and drawing you to understand the pure worship of God, the pure worship of heaven. Because we, when we worship with God in the New Testament here this evening in the morning, we are, we are in, the, in the assembly of the righteous. We have joined apostles and holy men and spirits of men made perfect, and we are about the throne of heaven. We are not merely in Houston. And so we must mind the spiritual communion of God in the mediator Christ before his throne, in his house, in his statutes, if we are in the spirit. And if we're not, we're someplace else. We're, maybe we're just in Houston after all. Now how do we do this? Well, we receive the spirit when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship God truly when we worship the Lord and we do everything in the name of Christ. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God in Christ. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, but you do this first by receiving Christ, pardoning your sins, reconciling yourself to God through Jesus, believing and resting upon Him and His righteousness, and He gives you His Spirit and begins to mortify the desires of your carnal, corrupt self. That has to go. Will worship has to be dying, not not rising. And that's part of life in the Spirit. And it's fully, fully compatible with the Word of God. And so it is not legalism. It is liberty. 
and all else is legalism and manipulation of will and, uh, and also uh, the imposing of the creature's will on other creatures. And I'll give plenty of examples by God's help in two weeks. Let's pray. Lord, now we have read much and said much. We pray that these, these words would have impact in our lives, that we would reverence you in your own house with your own people and uh, have new concern, Lord, uh, for your own name's sake, for, your, for the zeal of your name and the purity of your essence and your supereminent sovereignty over all things, but especially your own sons in your house, your own servants. And we pray that you give us this sort of reverence especially as leaders, to be discerning. Help us, O oh Lord, and I know that we will be helped. This will be our, our joy when we see you as all-sufficient in our midst and are delighted. And do this for your own name's sake, Lord. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Our final